0: CHAPTERS 39 AND 40 OF TAKEN AT THE FLOOD BY MARY ELIZABETH Braddon. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. 39. MR. BANE MAKES HIMSELF USEFUL. Sylvia's babe grew and flourished, and for the rest of that glorious summer-time, it seemed to her as if life had a new zest. The infant was such a novel plaything, and its existence gave her so much additional importance. The servants were more reverential than before the mother of Periam's future lord was a much grander person than sir aubrey's young wife sir aubrey being in a measure civilly dead the household worshipped at the shrine of the heir, as if that unconscious infant were already master and ruler a motherly countrywoman the childless widow of a small tenant farmer who had failed and gone to the dogs untimely had been engaged as nurse mr Bane, who knew everybody had found this person and brought her to lady Periam, with a recommendation so strong as to be almost a command sylvia would have rejected the woman solely to resist an interference which she resented as a species of tyranny but sir aubrey who was present at the discussion and who always sided with shadrach Bane, insisted that mrs stringfold should be engaged mrs stringfold was accordingly introduced into the household a few weeks before the birth of the heir sir aubrey forgot all about the business within an hour of the argument but his influence had enabled mr bain to have his own way which sylvia considered no small hardship "'Why do you always take Mr. Bain's part against me?' she asked when the steward had left. "'Very sensible man is Bain, my love,' answered Sir Aubrey in his senile way. "'Can't do better than take Bain's advice. "'If Bane recommends the nurse, the nurse must be good.' "'I'd rather have chosen for myself,' said Sylvia, pouting. "'What can you know about servants, my dear? "'You're too young to decide properly.' very good servant is Bane, faithful servant faithful to his own interests i dare say muttered sylvia sylvia did not know that it was through mr Bane's influence her future income had been made five thousand instead of two thousand a year but perhaps even had she been aware of this important fact it would hardly have reconciled her to that ever watchful influence which she considered a kind of tyranny there was no one in that house the mother not excepted to whom that infant stranger seemed to give such heartfelt pleasure as to the sick nurse mrs carter she deemed it her sweetest privilege to nurse him for an odd half-hour when master perriam's own special attendant mrs tringfold was in an amiable humour and disposed to permit such a liberty with her nursling she hung over his cradle with a fondness which if assumed was the perfection of acting the servants declared this show of affection was assumed and condemned mrs carter as a time-server and a sycophant she's always been able to get the blind side of my lady said mrs spicer the housekeeper and she thinks she'll get more of a favourite than ever if she makes believe to worship that blessed child although this was the uncharitable opinion of the servants hall nothing could be more quiet and unobtrusive than mrs carter's love for that infant it was when she was left alone beside the cradle or with the baby in her arms that her soul overflowed and she shed tears the sacred tears of the repentant sinner over that unconscious little one or breathe the heartfelt prayer that his path might be far from the sin and misery that had beset her footsteps the time came but too soon when the charm of novelty wore off this last blessing as it had worn off the splendour of her stately home and sylvia began to lose her first delight in the baby he was a troublesome plaything at best and if his mother allowed herself to take the sole charge of him for half an hour she was apt to find that half hour the longest in the day she was glad to hand him over to mrs tringfold or mrs carter and to admire his infantine graces at a distance sir aubrey liked to have the babe paraded up and down his room now and then seemed proud of him and caressed him with a senile fondness occasionally but at other times forgot his existence and sometimes even moaned and bewailed his want of an heir at first mrs carter would bring him the child and show him the folly of these complainings when providence had already blessed him with so fair a son but after a little while she discovered how vain this was and allowed him to utter his useless lamentations as often as he pleased without endeavouring to demonstrate their foolishness as time wore on and the babe became advanced in months, Lady Perriam found him more and more troublesome. With every tooth he cut, there was the same fuss and anxiety. He had innumerable small ailments and peevish fits and squalling fits, which Missus Tringfold put down to his teeth. Until it seemed to Sylvia that he could scarcely have been worse if he had been afflicted with teeth sprouting out all over him like the almonds on a tipsy cake. I shall be fonder of him when he is a little older, I dare say the mother thought self-excusingly when she found the air of parium more than usually troublesome. So, little by little, as the months wore on, the child ceased to be the new delight and amusement of her life, and the burden of her monotonous existence weighed upon her as heavily as of old. She was in some measure more free to do as she liked since her Aubrey's illness. He who had been so completely her master was now little more than a cipher in the house. Dead in life, he occupied a place upon this earth, yet was no more than a blank in the sum of its inhabitants weary as sylvia felt her attendance upon sir aubrey she contrived to be tolerably kind to him schooled herself to a passive amiability which was the very reverse of her vivid nature she read to him and sang to him and answered the same questions again and again with a patience which seemed almost sublime but she restricted the performance of these duties to about two hours a day an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening more she declared would have killed her for the rest of his time sir aubrey was dependent upon mordred Perriam, mrs carter and jean chaplain for society cheered only by the doctor's daily visit or by mr bain who came about twice a week and went over the business of the estate with his employer as seriously as if the baronet had been in the fullest possession of his faculties lady Perriam had now almost unlimited command of money Sir Aubrey still kept his cheque-book and signed all cheques for the maintenance of his household. He was quite conscious of each amount which he so dispensed at the moment, and invariably bewailed the largeness of the sum demanded from him. But his brain had lost the power to remember or multiply the figures of previous cheques, and he might have been induced to sign three or four for the same purpose and amount in one day had his land steward asked him to do so. All cheques were written at the instigation of Shadrach Payne he could alone obtain money from sir aubrey and thus all sums required by lady perriam passed in a manner through the agent's hands sylvia felt humiliated by mr bain's mediation but was fain to submit for if she ventured to ask sir aubrey for money he always replied in the same manner what could she want with so many cheques she had plenty of gowns to wear he was always seeing her in some new finery she had a house to live in and a carriage to ride in what more could she require sylvia would suggest that there were bills to be paid and that some one must pay them let Bane bring me the bills and i will write the cheques was sir aubrey's invariable answer Bane knows what i ought to pay he is a sharp man of business and won't see me imposed upon you'd ruin me sylvia if i allowed you to manage matters lady periam submitted therefore and received all cheques from the hands of shadrach payne he gave her ample funds to gratify her own caprices as well as to pay household bills sir aubrey signed a cheque for sundries about once a fortnight and sundries meant pocket-money for sylvia she was now able to gratify her taste for fashionable dresses rich laces delicate-hued ribbons at mr gansline's she bought new books and new music without stint and crowded her dressing-table with the latest inventions in perfumery she was able to send her father a bank-note now and then and to add an occasional bonus to mrs carter's liberal wages if the possession of money could have made sylvia perriam happy she might now have tasted the fulness of joy but however pleasant it was to buy fine dresses it seemed a hardship not to be able to wear them before admiring eyes she might be pleased with the reflection of her beauty when she stood before her cheval-glass dressed in the style which mr gansline assured her was the last parisian fashion as worn by the empress eugenie but she turned away from the glass with a dismal sigh remembering that hardly any one but her sick husband and mr Bane would be likely to behold her splendour thus after a brief period of extravagance she grew tired of buying fine dresses she might have gone to headingham church every sunday and shown off her finery among people who had known her in her poverty but this she did not care to do that one scornful look from edmund standon had been almost more than she could bear she could not hazard its recurrence better never to see his face again than to see it with that expression yet when she dreamed of the dim unknown future and all her dreams were of the future she did not despair of winning her forsaken lover once again were she but free to attempt the winning there was one person in perium place in whom sir aubrey's altered state had worked a change almost as melancholy as the change in sir aubrey himself this was mordred perium who had taken his brother's affliction deeply to heart so deeply that it seemed as if the very mainspring of his life were broken and the vigour of the man so wasted and decayed that in the dismal journey to the grave the younger brother was likely to go before the elder mordred made no formal complaint of illness though to any ear that would hearken he did occasionally bewail those sharp shooting pangs which afflicted his internal being now striking the heart now assailing the head he shuffled about very much as usual and shambled up and down his accustomed walks in the kitchen garden but all his joy in life seemed gone he had never stirred out of his own room since his brother's attack save to go to aubrey's room or for his constitutional walk in the kitchen garden he couldn't bear the sight of the dining-room without aubrey he said so at his request all his meals were taken to him in his own littered chamber and he sat among his dingy brown-backed folios and quartos and octavos and mumbled his solitary meal indifferent or hardly conscious what he ate he bought no more books corresponded no more with second-hand booksellers studied no more catalogues of book sales and this in him meant the relinquishment in his share in life not charles the fifth when he shut himself up in the monastery of st just could have made a more complete finish of his career than mr perriam did when he closed his catalogue and said i will buy no more what's the use of my getting any more bargains he said when lady perriam remarked on this change in her brother-in-law's habits there's no one to sympathise with me you don't care for old books you like new novels or ephemeral things which become waste paper six months after their publication how can you appreciate an aldine cicero in twenty folio volumes or a decameron almost as rare as that famous edition which sold the other day for something like two thousand pounds aubrey would sympathize with me aubrey understood when i talked to him sylvia had in some measure merited the reproach implied in this speech for without being absolutely uncivil to her brother-in-law she had let him see her almost contemptuous indifference to his pursuits she had yawned when he showed her some treasured volume and she had gone so far as to show that she considered bookbinding an ignoble pursuit for a cadet of the house of Perriam from the first day of his brother's affliction mordred perriam seemed to shrink away from sylvia he recoiled from that lovely butterfly-like creature as if the very fact of her beauty were an offence against her husband sir aubrey's room was mordred's favourite habitation to sit by the fireplace in winter and summer with his chair close to the hearth even when the capacious grate was empty of fuel formed mordred's chief pleasure he brought a pile of books with him every day and would read aloud to sir aubrey when the invalid cared for that recreation nothing discouraged though his brother made the same imbecile remarks day after day and gave utterance to feeble criticisms that went often wide of the text he would make approving remarks on the piety of voltaire mistake jeremy taylor Gibbon, confound paradise lost with dante's inferno and in various ways betray the weakness of his decaying brain but mordred was happy if he would but appear to listen and talk a little now and then and seem content with his company thus day after day the two men sat together both old before their time both with the looks and the manners of men who had as it were outlived life itself and now dwelt apart in a kind of hades between the life past and the life to come almost the only interest these two evinced in the actual world was their interest in the heir of parium of him each seemed equally proud the infant's presence always brought a smile to sir aubrey's wan face a smile which seemed reflected in the countenance of his brother providence has been very good to you aubrey mordred said very often in exactly the same complacent tone it's a great blessing to see that fine little fellow and to know that the Periam estate need not go out of the direct line forty the grass withereth the flower fadeth as summer changed to autumn and autumn darkened into winter again a gloomy shadow fell upon mr Bane's orderly home in high street monkhampton the forewarning shadow of death mrs Bane, the gentle thoughtful managing housemother, had surrendered the keys of store cupboards and china closets wine-cellar and cellarette, and there were those in the household who felt that she had relinquished them for the last time never more would she reign with unobtrusive sway in the narrow kingdom of home she had returned from cannes at the end of april wonderfully benefited by the milder climate of southern france her friends were loud in their congratulations she had found a means of cure or at least of permanent alleviation of her complaints asthma or bronchitis need trouble her no more she had only to pack her trunks and depart like the swallows save for that encumbrance of luggage at the approach of winter the doctor mr stimpson agreed to this with some faint reservation it is not for a family doctor to damp his patient's spirits there is your family doctor sympathetic and pensive who gazes at you with deploring eyes and appears to think you on the verge of the grave and there is also the cheerful and jocose family doctor who talks loud even in sick rooms and affects to believe there is hardly anything the matter with you mr stimpson was a cheerful doctor and a great favorite in monkhampton unhappily this particular winter came upon the world with hardly a note of warning tripping up the heels of autumn as it were and while people were congratulating one another on the fine bracing autumnal weather the frost fiend suddenly tweaked them by the nose and fogs which had they known their place would have held themselves in reserve for the dark days before christmas enveloped the close of october with a chilly gloom mrs Bane was taken ill with her chronic asthma before october was ended and mr stimpson declared decisively that the intended immigration to cannes was out of the question for some time to come she couldn't bear the journey in her present state he said to shadrach Bane, who seemed full of anxiety though he said little about his fears and by the time we get her round again it may be too late in the year for her to travel so instead of departing to the pleasant shores of the mediterranean mrs bain was confined to her own chamber a large and comfortable apartment overlooking the high street from whose windows when she was well enough to sit up the invalid could see all that constituted life in monkhampton it's better than going abroad to be away from you all mrs bain said to her daughters and we are all in the lord's hands all the same here as in a better climate if it is his pleasure i shall get through the winter monkhampton won't kill me and if it's his pleasure to take me i shall be content to go i feel a burden to your father my dears a sick wife is nothing but a burden you oughtn't to say such things mother remonstrated matilda jane tearfully i'm sure father does nothing but fret about you since you've been so ill if you could see him as he sits at table so full of thought and trouble you'd know how he takes your illness to heart i do know that my dear replied mrs bain to whom her husband was chief among men always just always to be honoured and that's why i feel it will be a blessing for you all when it pleases god to remove me your father will know that he has done his duty to me and been the best of husbands and he'll soon leave off fretting people easily make up their minds to a loss when the thing has happened it's beforehand they feel the most pain while there's a little bit of hope mixed with their fears no trouble that god ever calls upon us to suffer is half so bad to bear as we think it is beforehand and then with many pious maxims and quotations from holy writ words which came from the heart as well as from the lips mrs Vane strove to console her daughters in advance for the loss which she felt very sure must ere long befall them she was a woman of deep religious feeling So thoroughly sincere and earnest that the formal phrases of Methodism had no sound of cant when she uttered them. It had been her greatest pride and her sweetest joy to bring up her children in the love and fear of the Lord. That sublime phrase was written on her heart in the love and fear of the Lord. And from no thought or action of her life was the influence of religion ever absent. Her simple, thrifty, unselfish life had been ruled on what she herself called gospel principles she had been a bounteous friend to the poor of Monkhampton, a dorcas in simplicity of living and attire never choosing the best for herself taking no more heed for her raiment than the lilies and content with a homelier garb than that wherewith god decks the flowers of the field the only pang she had ever felt on her husband's account was the fear that he was somewhat given to worldliness that in spite of his regular attendance at the chapel in water lane twice every sabbath and on two evenings in the week the things of this world had too firm a hold upon his spirit that his bank-book occupied almost as important a place in his thoughts as his bible willing though he seemed to read the morning and evening chapter i could bear poverty better than the thought that your father cared too much for the things of this world mrs baines said to one of her daughters plaintively the girl defended her father warmly i think that is going a little too far mother she answered, It's people's duty to get on in life, especially when they have families to provide for. I sometimes wish father was a little more worldly minded and would let us ride on horseback as the Miss Horshaws do, and even follow the hounds. Mrs. Bain sighed and murmured something about the incongruity of horsemanship and biblical Christianity. She always came back to the Bible for strength in every argument and in the bible chariots and horses were generally associated with wickedness and egyptians and philistines she had done her utmost to teach her children how transitory were the joys of this life and here was her matilda jane her first-born hankering for horsemanship and even eager to hunt some innocent animal to death no man could have been a better or kinder husband than mr Bane in this mournful winter when the shadow of approaching death forbade all christmas joys and made the season doubly sad because it had been wont to be enlivened by some mild domestic festivity extra good dinners a family gathering of all the dockers and Banes, and those other families with which the dockers and Banes had intermingled in the solemn bonds of matrimony every one in monkhampton lauded shadrach baynes devotion to his sick wife it was the habit of those simple townsfolk to survey and remark upon the actions of their neighbours as if all the houses had been verily of glass and all monkhampton agreed that in his character of husband shadrach was a model for his fellow-townsmen the baptists said it was because mr Bane was a baptist the church of englanders declared that Bane was a good fellow in spite of his methodistical nonsense it was known that he had been ready to take his wife to Cannes when her fatal illness came upon her it was known that he spent his leisure evenings in her sick-room it was known that he had summoned dr polyghtory from rougemont the county town to hold a consultation with mr stimpson not once but three times since mrs bain had kept her room what could domestic affection do more than this the twenty years which had gone by since his father's death had done much to strengthen mr bain's standing in monkhampton a man cannot go on living in a substantial square-built house paying his way subscribing liberally to local charities and bringing up sons and daughters without winning the respect of his fellow-townsmen it was known that every year which came to an end beheld an increase in mr bain's worldly goods the addition to his possessions might be much or little but it was a well-known fact that shadrach bain saved money he bought little odd bits of land here and there in obscure corners of the town here half an acre and there a quarter and here a dilapidated old house only fit to be pulled down until he had in a manner coiled himself in and out of the town like a serpent so that no new street could have been planned in monkhampton that would not cut through shadrach Bane's property go to the right or turn to the left you must come upon some spot of earth that was the freehold of shadrach Bane. he had bought two or three speculative properties within the last year Perhaps hardly amounting altogether to three thousand pounds. Yet it was an understood thing that he was getting rich, and that where in former years he had crept, he now began to stride. A very dismal house was the habitation of the Bain family that winter. They all loved the mother, and to miss her quiet presence was to lose the keystone of the domestic arch. Father, too, was beyond measure dull and self absorbed. He rarely spoke to his daughters he seemed unconscious of the existence of his sons save in their capacity as his clerks in which to use their own unlicensed language he was down upon them to an awful extent he worked in his office in all kinds of unlawful hours and only entered the family dining-room to eat his unsocial and hurried meal and to leave directly he had eaten the parium estate occupied him more closely than ever this winter and two days in every week were spent at parium place or on the parium lands riding the baronet's once cherished splinter which was kept in condition by mr bain's occasional use on these days he always took his luncheon at the place and sometimes shared that midday meal with the reluctant lady she felt that he was of use to her that but for him her position would be a great deal worse than it was and she schooled herself to be civil friendly even in her manner to him yet lurking in her heart there was always the same undefined fear of him-the same deep-rooted conviction that he knew her better than any one else in the world one day when they were seated at luncheon far apart at the long dining-table but alone and unattended mr bain spoke of edmund standon a very fine young fellow that he said and a first-rate man of business which one would hardly have expected of a lad brought up at his mother's apron-string Edmund Stanton would have come to the front if he had started in life without a sixpence. How deeply that phrase hit Sylvia, remembering as she did her own cowardly fears, her own weak shrinking from the mere possibility of misfortune. Stanton is to be manager at the bank next year, I'm told, and Sanderson goes to Rougemont in the place of Mr. Curlew, who retires. He'll get six or seven hundred a year, no doubt, as manager. A nice thing. "'considering his mother's money, which must all come to him by and by. "'I suppose he'll marry that little girl he is so sweet upon.' "'Do you mean Miss Rochdale?' asked Sylvia, very pale, not knowing what he might tell her next. "'Yes, that's the name. "'The pretty little dark-eyed girl who lives with his mother.' "'They have been brought up together like brother and sister,' said Sylvia. "'They could hardly think of marrying, I should fancy.' "'Should you?' it's the common talk that they're engaged i used to meet them strolling in the lanes round headingham in the summer evenings but perhaps it was only in brotherly and sisterly companionship sylvia answered not a word what should she say she had no desire to question shadrach Bane. if this thing were true the knowledge of it must reach her soon enough too soon let it come when it would she shrank from receiving her death-blow through mr Bain i could bear anything but that she thought meaning edmund's marriage with any one except herself i could endure life-long separation from him but not to know that he was happy with another she could now venture to send for mary peter the headingham dressmaker without fear of reproof from sir aubrey who need know nothing of that young person's coming she summoned mary on the day after this conversation with mr Bane and received her in the morning-room on the ground-floor that chilly apartment which the last Lady Periam had adorned with a collection of shells and seaweeds in two ebony cabinets, and a neat bookcase containing about two dozen of the dullest imaginable books. Here, remote from Sir Aubrey's ken, Sylvia could detain Miss Peter as long as she pleased. I want you to make a dress for me, Mary, she said, with that lofty yet gracious air which became her as well as if she had been born in the purple sir aubrey insisted upon my employing mrs boker of monkhampton and i always defer to him even in small matters but i like your style best and i mean to employ you occasionally i'm sure you're very kind my lady answered mary to whom the days when she and sylvia had been companions seemed very far off so vast was the distance between them now then came a discussion about the fashion of the dress and the usual question asked with a languid air as if the inquiry were made rather out of civility to miss peter than from any interest lady perriam felt in the subject any news at headingham mary well not much my lady you know there never is no news to speak of in our dreadful dull place mrs Toynbee and the young ladies have been to baden baden and only came back in november with all the parisian fashions and very idios the parisian fashions must be judging from miss Toynbee's bonnet with not so much as an apology for a curtain and flowers sprouting out where you'd least expect to see them it would be worth your while coming over to church just to look at mrs Toynbee's bonnet and one can see that she thinks a deal of it too but you never come to our church now my lady it's so far said sylvia i don't care about having the horses out on sunday that's very good of you, answered Mary wonderingly. I think if I had horses I should never have them in the stables. I should so enjoy riding about. Is Mrs. Toynbee's bonnet the only event that has happened in Headingham since the summer? Sylvia asked languidly. Well, there isn't much else. There was a young gent from Oxford that stayed at the vicarage and was thought to be courting the youngest Miss Vancourt, but he went away and nothing came of all the talk. Headingham is such a place for talk. They do say Mr. Stanton is going to marry Miss Rochdale. I dare say that's true, said Sylvia, steeling herself against the pain that went along with every thought of that bitter possibility. Well, I don't know, I'm sure, replied Mary meditatively. It does seem rather likely, though, as you say. Considering that he must have been so downhearted at losing you, he couldn't better console himself than by marrying a nice young lady like Miss Rochdale so kind as she's been to his sister's children too like a second mother to them teaching the little girls and everything just as if she was no better than a nursery governess instead of an independent young lady with a nice income of her own oh no doubt she is a model of all virtues replied sylvia stung even by mary peter's praises of her rival a young woman who knows how to wind herself into people's affections with her meek winning ways and pretended unselfishness yet seeking her own ends all the time just the kind of girl to succeed in any object she set her heart upon mary peter felt the bitterness in this speech and prudently refrained from any reply she asked some convenient question about the sleeve of the new dress and then retired Sylvia would gladly have detained her to question her more closely about what rumor said of Edmund and Esther, but she felt that she had said too much already, perhaps almost betrayed herself to this vulgar dressmaker. I do believe she still cares for him, Mary Peter said to herself as she went home with Sylvia's roll of silk under her arm. She'd hardly have flown out like that about Miss Rochdale if she didn't. End of chapters thirty nine and forty.